But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they'd spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Please be seated. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being here. We pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts. Help us with our attention. Lord, we pray that you would uh, give to us what we need from your word. And in most cases, that's a little bit of conviction, a little bit of comfort, a little bit of reminder, uh, all of these things together. And, And Lord, we thank you that it's the same word, and you're the same God and the same Holy Spirit, but you know each of us where we are. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit power as we interact with your text today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing through the book of Acts. Paul is wrapping up his first missionary journey. And if you have a Bible with maps or you've got a text, you can look and see. If you just start to think about south-central Turkey uh, and places there, that's that's a good place to to just, in a general way, go. If it was a seminary class, boy, we would learn all about these things and probably we would learn how how to pronounce them right. Um, I've always told people, here's just an anecdote. If you're ever reading scripture or you're in a group and it's your turn to read and you have all these big names, the thing to do to not do is stop thing to do is just read them and pronounce them as if you know what they sound like and everyone will be impressed. Uh, just, just read the names. Uh, so anyway, um, we find Paul. Last week, remember, he was in, 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 in uh, the city in Lystra with, with Barnabas and they were ready to worship him as a god. And the same people now we find being stirred up and stoning him and leaving him for dead. They dragged him out and thought he was dead. The people surrounded him, thought he was gone, thought he had died for the faith. Uh, And he rose from that. And we think about even the fickleness of people, the reception of the gospel, and you wonder why it's so controversial. You wouldn't think it would be to say it's good news, it's grace, it's the gospel. Uh, There's something we can do with our sins, and there's a place, there's a Jesus who died, and if you repent of your sins, acknowledging that and placing your faith in Jesus, he said, if you come to me, I will in no wise cast you out. And you'd think that would be the good news and everyone would want to hear it. 
you know, I always look for, for free stuff. And this isn't free, uh, meaning cheap. This is free, meaning costly. And what a gift. Why is it so controversial? Think about that. But it always has been. So a couple nights ago, I couldn't sleep. And uh, woke up and I said, man, I'm just going to listen to something, you know, to fall asleep to. I don't want to listen to some old ball game tonight. I don't want to, you know, sometimes I do Lord of the Rings and, and I set the sleep timer for 15 minutes. And so I fall asleep after about eight minutes. But I thought, man, it's been a long time since Pilgrim's Progress. And I saw that there. So I, I, I put that on and I fell asleep in the slew of despond. Uh, and I woke up a few chapters later and Mr. Worldly Wise Man was talking. And I fell right back asleep, but that character, Mr. Worldly Wise Man, let me tell you about him. So Christian is the main character in this book that John Bunyan wrote back in the 1600s. He was in prison. He wrote about the Christian life. It's an allegory. I believe it's the outside of the Bible. Uh, it's, the, it's the best-selling book of all time. Uh, it's, it's worth your investment in. If you get a modern version, if that helps you, it's, it's worth it. Uh, the old version is good. I've got this English woman reading it uh, in the audio, and she says, she says, slough of despond, and I say slew of despond, and that's my only argument with her. It's actually come alive to hear her read it. But Mr. Worldly Wise Man is someone who Christian's got this burden on his back. Christian is headed toward the wicked gate. He's going to have that burden removed, and then he's going to journey uh, on, and, 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 and he's going to get to heaven. But he's got this burden of sin. It's, 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 it's what's consuming him now ever since this man named evangelist uh, told him and he read in a book about God and God's holiness and this burden is heavy and you think about uh, Bunyan described it as heavy in 1691 it's heavy for people today a lot of the people that are just they seem to have such a short fuse and they're fighting over parking spaces at Costco and they're doing all that stuff a lot of that has nothing to do if any of it, with the, fighting, with, with the parking spaces at Costco, it has to do with we've got this guilt, we've got this wrongness from God, we've got these sins that we're committing, we're living with, and we're just carrying this burden. And we need release from that. And Christian is carrying his burden. And he's headed toward the wicked gate where he's heard that, that, that his sins will be forgiven, the burden will be removed. But then he comes across a man named Mr. Worldly Wise Man. And Mr. Worldly Wise Man uh, convinces him. He says, well, how did you get this burden? Christian says, by reading this book. Mr. Worldly Wise Man says, well, other weak men have fallen into this trap, meddling in things they don't understand. He says, you want your burden gone? Here's what you do. You go to the village of morality, and you visit an honest man named Legality. Legality will help you relieve your burden. He's done this to many, many people. You go to morality, and legality will help you. If legality's not in, he's got this great son named civility. And civility will, will also help you remove your burden. And Christian does what so many people do. They feel guilty about things, and so they say, I've got to remove my guilt. I'll get it by being good. Or I'll get it by being civil. Or I'll get it by playing with others nicely in the sandbox. Um, I won't, uh, I'll, I'll try to be nicer at work. I'll vote for the right causes. I'll, I'll give money to this. I'll put these signs in my yard. I'll, I'll put on some, some legality. I'll put on some civility. 
I'll be good. And Christian is headed to the town of morality because he's got to get this burden off his back, but the burden gets heavier and heavier as he gets there. Uh, And he's headed there. And finally, finally, evangelist finds him again and reveals Mr. Worldly Wise Man's true nature. He says this, Mr. Worldly Wise Man loves worldly doctrines because these help him to avoid the cross. Christian must reject these efforts to make him reject God's counsel. In reality, legality is what the Bible calls the son of the bondwoman. She and her children are in bondage, and they being slaves can't set Christian or anyone else free. Legality can't help you. Legality is a slave. Civility is a slave, if that's your God. There's only one place to get your burden removed, and that's the cross. Christian says, is there any hope? And evangelist says, yes. Even though you've sinned by forsaking the good path and following a forbidden one, there is forgiveness in Christ. Now we think in our text about Paul and what we know about Paul so far as we've gone through Acts. Paul was the Mr. Worldly Wise Man of his day. He knew his Bible, but he didn't know the God of the Bible. He didn't know who the Bible was about. And it was all legalism. Do this, do this, follow these rules, be moral. Uh, you can be a, a non-religious person and still have these rules. There are creeds out there today uh, that you uh, are, are, the world is telling you you must follow. Um, so Paul had been that. Then he was converted and he became the evangelist, pointing people to the one place where they could have their burden removed. He before had been willing to kill for that worldly wise man legality business. Now he was ready to die for the opposite, for the message of grace. And so we're going to look at the interactions of Paul and Barnabas with God's people. We're going to learn some things about our own Christian walk through this world. After being stoned and left for dead, Paul revived, went back and did the work of an evangelist. And what did he, the Bible say, he spent his time doing? Six things, but they'll be quick. Well, maybe they will be. Maybe they won't be, but six things. In other words, don't let six things totally scare you. (laughs) We'll be done by the time the barbecue is done. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, strengthening, encouraging, reminding, appointing, recounting, and remaining. First, the Bible says that he went back and they retraced their steps, strengthening. Verse 22 says, uh, we'll, we'll take 21 and 22. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. He went back through to strengthen the souls of the disciples. The first conclusion we can make from this statement is that there is a need for strengthening. You heard, hear the phrase, baby Christian. Uh, it talks about growing in the faith and desiring milk and, and you should want the meat of the word and there's a growth. Uh, you don't just go out and, and, and get people to pray a prayer, uh, maybe the sinner's prayer, maybe even the words are all right and say, well, good luck with that now and go on. Paul realized that souls need strengthened. Your soul needs strengthening. My soul needs strengthening. He went back to strengthen the souls 
of the disciples. How? Teaching, reminding, redirecting when they get off the path. Bunyan was right. The temptation for all of us is to start out with grace as Christians and to drift back into a hard morality where legalism and civility are waiting. Churches can do this as well as individuals. All of a sudden, I was talking with somebody. It might have been, might have been Ted this week. I think it was Ted. Um, but how to become a Christian, it's so, the, the joy of it is the bar is so low. Repent. Place your faith in Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in your house. But the longer I live as a Christian, I kind of want people to, before I, I, I can admit that they're Christians, I want them also to have a political view that I, I want them to have. I want them to have a, a level of morality I want them to have. I want all of that stuff too. And, and, and it's like, I want to raise the bar on people, but I wanted it nice for me to be able to be saved. We drift back toward legalism, toward uh, our right standing with God being based on our works, and, and, and he's strengthening the soul of the Christians. I think his very return to where he was nearly killed for his belief would have reinforced his words, strengthening the souls of the disciples. Then we find him Part of that strengthening was the next phrase, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Later, Paul would write to people uh, in 1 Thessalonians to encourage one another and build each other up. To encourage, that's a pretty simple understanding of that word, to give courage, to say you can do it. How many uh, soccer players this weekend in, in European soccer uh, they allowed the fans back in, and, and, and the, the winning teams and the home team said, we just got strengthened by the fans, just that voice, those people uh, there for us saying, you can do it. There's a, a strengthening and encouraging uh, to remain in, in the faith, and he was encouraging them to continue in their faith. The temptation to outright leave the faith or just drift away, as Hebrews talks about, is real encouragement to remain in it. We need that from each other. One way as a church we can do this, and I've prayed about this, and I'm so excited about uh, the possibility of, uh, of what can happen with this as we resume our Sunday school classes. I know I like Adult Sunday school classes. We're talking about it in session meeting. They're talking about various things. And boy, it is good for those adults to get there. And, and uh, right now it's that, that R.C. Sproul video to think about end times and to talk and to hear and look at the word together and hear somebody say something and, and have that. That's good. You know what's hard? Teaching the kids and organizing the kids with various age groups. Not quite so many of them, but all of them important in God's eyes and getting something so that they're not just wasting time or or we're filling time with them. And one way you can do that is to help us out with the children's side of things, to encourage them. How many of you have been encouraged by godly Sunday school teachers? I can say some of their names that I had in Iowa. Mr. Wyman, 
I don't remember anything Mr. Wyman taught. I know it was all good, godly stuff, but I remember Mr. Wyman as a Christian who opened the Bible and taught us the Bible and others. We're starting something in a couple of weeks uh, as, as we have, as our denomination has put out this thing called Teach Me to Worship. It's a wonderful curriculum for kids. Uh, it goes through basically our order of worship. Uh, lesson one topic. Uh, the, the, the month is, is, is uh, I gave all my stuff to, gave all, all my stuff to uh, various people, but call to worship is the first month. We start with the call to worship in our service. We're going to be talking to our kids about God's invitation to worship. We're going to have a song every week. We're going to sing, Oh, Worship the King. Lord willing, when these little kids are old people and they forget a lot and they're in some nursing home, they'll remember Worship the King all glorious above and they'll know that they sang that. They'll know that that Ruth played that on her flute for them and they'll know that different people taught them these things. Week one, creation calls us to worship and it's all based on scripture about how nature makes us worship God. Week two, God calls Abraham uh, and we are Abraham's children called to worship. Week three, God commands us to worship. Week four topic, King Jesus will be worshiped forever. And then it just works through in the course of a year through prayer, praise, tithes and offerings, reading of the word, confession of, of, of the faith, those types of things. That's encouraging for our kids. That's a way to encourage people to remain in the faith. Paul went about back through. He strengthened the souls of his disciples and he encouraged them to continue in the faith. Then the third thing is reminding. Verse 23, he said that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. He reminded them of Jesus' words. Uh, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. It's not easy street. It's not become a Christian and all your problems will disappear. Paula was a little girl one time and people were teaching, but they were teaching wrong doctrine in in her Sunday school. At least that person was at the time. They said, listen, if you kids get saved, Jesus will help you get better grades in school. And then your parents will be really happy with you. Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes and raise your hand if you want to get saved. And Paula said, I want my parents to be happy with me and if I get good grades. And, and that was her first getting saved experience. Uh, well, Jesus didn't say things like that. He said, foxes have dens and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You going to follow me? He said, it's good And it's ultimately the best, and even now we have strength. But the Christian life is not always uh, no problems. That's not our promise. Jesus said in John 15, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, 
because they do not know him who sent me. And he goes on to talk about how they hated Jesus and they hate the Father. He's not promising a super highway of good joy just to be saved. And Paul went back and reminded these people who had made decisions uh, to follow Christ and to repent. He reminded them that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Read a guy, I like this guy a lot, a guy named F.F. Bruce. Did a lot of studies on Paul. I had to read some of the stuff back in seminary, and especially he was strong in Acts. But this is very dated. Uh, Listen to this. I smiled when I read it, and I think you might too. He said, Christians in apostolic times took it as a matter of course that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Is it a matter for relief or regret that this is no longer so in the Western world? He said, is it a matter of relief or regret that it's no longer so that we don't have tribulations in the world? It's like, I think we do have tribulations in the world. And so, he says, how would you counsel someone to remain true to the faith? I would think that one thing I would do is to say, we do have them, and they're coming, and it's getting maybe, maybe more ominous toward the churches. And you hear of churches in, in uh, not just the United States, but I think especially in Canada, some of the stories coming out of there, where there are persecutions and there are tribulations and people not understanding uh, God's call to worship and, 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 and God's people meeting together. And you have not only governments against them, but you have even citizens uh, cheering the government with that persecution. Uh, don't be surprised if and when in your lifetimes it gets harder to be a Christian in culture. Paul, who had been revived, who'd been stoned and left for dead, was able to be a living testimony to that. Reminding. So, then we see what he did in the local church. It says in verse 23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church, elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. This is doctrine. We're going to hit this stronger next week in Acts 15. But there were elders appointed in every single church. That was crucial to their local church, and their individual strengthening and growing. Don't underestimate this area of church government and church polity. Two things about these elders. They were local, and they were multiple. There was a plurality of elders. Hey, would you mind pulling that door shut? I think there's dogs barking and stuff now. I don't even know what's going on, but... It's a distraction for me, if not for you. Plurality of elders. We understand that God appoints people locally. Since he's not here, I'm going to tell you about our church. And oh, it was a struggle. The first seven or eight years, I forget when it was. It was so hard to not have local elders. And our elders were good guys, they were, they were God's elders in that church, but they were far away. They were in New Haven, which is a different town than Danbury. The church plant had taken place a long time before there. Uh, here's how somebody described New Haven versus Danbury. They said, down there they write the book, here we watch the movie. Uh, that's okay. I don't know if that's a good summation, but in some ways 
you know, the, the, the 15 page paper on, uh, on things didn't work for us trying to plant a church in Danbury with who we are. And they weren't local. And they had their own issues that they were dealing with. And then every six or eight months come in and, and here's pressure to do all this and then gone because they couldn't be here and there. It was a hard time. And I was talking to my mentor pastor, the man who tried to train me about that. And I was on the phone with John Finley. And I said, John, I just don't know what's going to happen up here. We just don't have elders, local. He said, oh, I'm going to pray that God sends you an already trained PCA elder that knows what they're doing that's godly. And I said, John, this is not the PCA in the South. This is the PCA in New England. That's not going to happen. But if you want to pray for that, go ahead and pray for that. Some of you have heard this story, but it's good to hear again because it's an important part of our church's history. Since he's not here, I can say it uh, and not make him feel embarrassed. One week later, Mark Anderson gives me a call. And he says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to church over here in New York, but you're a PCA church. What's, he said, I just he wanted some fellowship. He wanted some. And in the end, he'd been an elder in Indiana and there, and, and he was exactly what, what Finley said he was praying for, and God gave him. And that's a gift to the church. And then God gave other elders, our other three. And boy, we're different, different in age, different uh, personalities, but the same in our love for the Lord and the unity that, that is here is wonderful. And I'm telling you, when Paul said, part of my mission is to go to these local churches and give elders and establish elders, that is no small thing. It was tough to be without local plurality of elders. And it's beautiful to have that. And I could walk off a cliff or or, or Space Lab could fall on me, and the church is fine because God's given us elders. That's wonderful. He appointed elders. And in prayer and fasting, committing them, the elders in the local church, to the Lord. Next, we see him recounting. Verse 27. As they passed through Pisidia and Pamphylia, it says when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they went back after two years to where they had been. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. They recounted God's greatness. And what an encouragement to that church to know that God is working in this church. And he was able to share that back and forth. The report of God's greatness the history of God working. It could be encouraging to me that a church plant was started here 24 years ago. And if I'm talking to Tito, I always say Pastor Walter Mora, but I think there was a man before him, but Pastor Walter was the, was the, the, the catalyst. Uh, uh, he's back in Brazil. He's gone. The church carries on. The gospel carries on. To hear the history. Our church has a history. And we're developing a history. There are stories. Uh, when we bought this building, so many people would come to me and they'd say, back when it was the Baptist church, uh, some guy walked around, they'd say, I got saved in this church. Uh, two of the elders in, in uh, Anna's congregation, uh, one of them got married here, one of them got saved and was baptized here. Uh, and, and so there's a history there. And to hear that God works, Paul going back to that sending church and recounting, here's God's works. Uh, he may not have to work in the same 
might not be my needs aren't the same as yours, but somebody can tell me about a time when you were just really searching and you were felt desperate and you missed uh, a loved one or, or something and how God came and ministered to you. And I can hear that and I can say, that's the way God deals with his people. I can read it in the Bible, but I can hear the history and the recounting, telling these stories of God at work. Short-term mission trips that give people courage to talk about God in the high school lunchroom. Took a group of kids on the first mission trip down in Pine Woods. And everybody's like, this is a waste of money. Why are they working to do this? Why can't we just do something here? Blah, 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 blah. And afterwards, a man came up to me. He goes, you made a man out of me. (laughs) I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, the situation made a man out of me. He said, I was one of the critics. He said, but what this has done to hear these people who went on the mission trip in another place come back, I am emboldened to even share the faith myself. And I can hear these kids talk about now they are able to share in their lunchroom because they realize what the gospel is and how God works and they see God working um, to hear these things. My parents did this with us as kids when we were growing up. It was the Bible and it was a missionary biography chapter every night. So when I met Isaac Mapungu from Kenya, I immediately thought of a book that my mom and dad had read to us called Mama Was a Missionary. And I felt like I'd met Kenyan Christians before. When I met Deddy Wakarza and Inawata Teddy, who were Chinese Indonesians, I remembered a book called Hostage in Jakarta and how God had worked there. And I felt like I was meeting old friends that I grew up knowing uh, because I'd seen God work in lives around the world. Books like Through Gates of Splendor, Mission to the Headhunters. You see, John and Betty Stam in China, uh, this woman named Isabel Kuhn. Oh, she wasn't uh, an RTS graduate. She was Moody Bible Institute. She died 10 years before I was born. You read about her, she's wonderful. She wrote a book that I said every Christian kid ought to read going to college. She was in Western Canada in 1920. And the professor said, who still believes that religion, that Christian stuff that their parents taught them? And she and two other girls raised their hands. And they laughed. And he said, those are fairy tales. And her faith was shaken. I'm like, that happens all the time with Christian kids in colleges today. Their faith is shaken. People that, are, that they're supposed to look up to intellectually mock the faith. And, and her book, By Searching, talks about how God came and, and she, she owned that faith then as a result of that. You read about things and you recount things and you hear Paul go back and talk about what God has done everywhere. What does that do? That strengthens all of us. When God's working somewhere, he's working in our body because we're connected through Christ. So you see them strengthening. You see them encouraging. You see them reminding. You see them appointing and then recounting. And finally, remaining. It says at the very end, they remained no little time with the disciples. They stayed there with them. They enjoyed the interaction with them. They talked with them. There was a growing. It's kind of a hokey phrase, and sometimes I, I read it in these, you know, it's like a cool dude, cool church planter dude. Like, 
writes to his congregation, I like doing life. It's good to do life with you. And I'm like, do life with you. What does that mean, do life with you? Well, you know, I guess it's just a phrase. I'm just an old guy. And to me, it just sounds kind of dumb. But it's not really dumb when you think about the idea of it. We live. We have our things. We weep with those who weep. We care when something happens in somebody's life. We can recount. We can we can celebrate God's work in our lives together. And they spent no little time with them. They strengthened each other. They discussed theology together, certainly. They talked about God's working. They were strangers in a new world. They were aliens. They were outsiders. They were different than they were before. And they were talking about what does it mean to be a Christian. And you get that by remaining with each other and spending the time together. So as we think about this, we come to this, we come to the end of of this text. We say, how does that apply to me and my church? The common denominator that we have. Go back to the beginning of the sermon. Don't listen to Mr. Worldly Wise Man who just wants you to be good and vote right and be a good neighbor and keep your lawn up to up to the neighborhood standards and not offend anybody and just be go along, get along. He's saying don't be that for your salvation, your walk with Christ. You've been changed. It's radical. It's different. Don't go back to that. Mr. Worldly Wise Man wants to divert you from the narrow path. Try to say we're all okay if we just conform to the prevailing definition of what constitutes good works in our culture. Listen instead to Paul the evangelist. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. He had to tell this church there, uh, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He said, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, Let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He's saying don't substitute good works for the gospel. Don't rest assured in your goodness. Rest in Jesus' goodness as we live and work together. He went on to say in in chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, for all who rely on works of a law are under a curse. For it's written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. And then listen to this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Sum it up. For you, for us as a church people together, we need need strengthening for our souls. We need submission to God's word for our souls. We need to realize that if you think you're standing 
you're doomed to fall. He went back and he strengthened the souls. We need encouragement and we need to give encouragement to remain in the faith. God uses us to help each other as we walk through life toward heaven. We need reminding when it seems like it's unpopular to be a committed Christian. And we have to add something to it, some cause, some thing. That Jesus said, you're with me, and it's not always going to be easy in this world's terms, but it's worth it. You get reminded from how he appointed the elders, the importance of the local church. It's not just, yeah, maybe I'll go, maybe I won't, maybe I'll be here, maybe I'll, I'll be there. Uh, there's an importance and there's something special about God's organization of church. Church polity is important. Where you go to church and what church you go to is important. We need reminding and recounting of all God's doing. And then the remaining and the being together. It's God's grace. It's Jesus Christ who removes the burden from our, our, our back. Let's pray and close. Lord, thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the table we're about to approach. We thank you that this is a meal that we get to partake of together, together in this room and in this place, but then uh, with all the Christians uh, from around the world who are, are celebrating and, and coming to your table, and Christians from through the centuries and long after we're gone doing this. We thank you for this table that points us to you. In Jesus' name, amen.